0: F- 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 for life. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Under the Radar. My name is Brandon Tanguma, and yes, I'm back. I know it's been a while, there just hasn't been that much news going on in the world of pro wrestling ever since this damn coronavirus thing has been going down. But of course, since our last BulletCast recording, there has been quite a bit of news that has gone down. And as always, we're going to catch up on the last few episodes of NXT that I have not covered and the return of Total Bellas, the first two episodes of the recent season. So, uh, let's just uh, jump right into it. First, we will be going over some WWE news. Florida officials have confirmed that WWE is deemed an essential business. And WWE will be, well, they have resumed doing live TV tapings. They will be doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, obviously, for Raw, NXT, and SmackDown. This has come to some scrutiny obviously with the whole coronavirus covid-19 situation going down everything's getting shut down and people are making the connections i definitely have seen some stuff on twitter today of linda mcmahon being a part of a super PAC you know trying running for the re-election of donald trump florida being a republican state a swing state but it definitely has uh it's, I think I voted Republican the last one and I think a few other times before, but we're not going to get political on this podcast, but people are making the connections that maybe since Lynn McMahon is, was in the Trump cabinet and running a super PAC for his re-election that maybe WWE is getting uh, being able to pull some strings with the Florida government right now because I think the county, I don't know if it's a mayor or official or whatever, he Basically, was a little lenient to not really explaining why he was deemed an essential, why WWE was not deemed an essential uh, business, but obviously it's probably above his pay grade, and the higher-ups said that WWE is essential, which, I mean, for me personally, if wrestling were to just completely shut down and there was no live programming for the foreseeable future, yes, I would be. it'd be disappointing and a little bit. It'd be sad, because there's no sports especially, And but for me, it comes down to the health and safety of not only the wrestlers, but everybody involved in the company production. I mean, for WWE and AEW, they've been really running a, a bare-bones crew, so I don't know exactly how many people are on site. I know they're kind of you know, having the production people come in, set up, and then they leave Then you bring in the on-screen talent, leave a couple of the producers for the matches and for the television production so that they can run a live show, obviously. But uh, news came out that a WWE personnel did test positive for COVID-19. Now, this was after WrestleMania. And they were not directly in contact with any of the wrestlers. WWE has been doing a good job recently. And I think for the most part throughout this entire situation that they've been doing a good job of, you know, doing the proper protocols, sanitizing everything. Every time somebody uses a microphone, that microphone top gets disposed of and they put in a new one and everything is getting cleaned. So there is w- there is still a risk, obviously, but I think WWE and AEW are taking the right precautions to make sure that nothing happens to any of their employees. Obviously, if a wrestler and or a referee, someone who is definitely in the ring, you know, the referee might not be touching the wrestlers all the time, but there is close contact, so those three to five people, if it's a tag team match or triple throw, whatever, that could possibly shut down the entire Company and just the because they, I mean, they're doing a good job of just having nobody touching, being close to anybody except for the in ring aspect of things. So, if for WWE, if they are able to kind of contain the not the virus, but you know, kind of contain the wrestlers to kind of just working with a small amount of people, so you can track and say okay if this person tested positive they wrestled this person that person they talked to this person so you can have you know a minimum or hopefully a maximum of like 10 people that you can kind of connect to this and you can quarantine them so then you don't have to shut down the entire operation like what happened with the NBA with Rudy Gobert he tests positive and then just it sends out this ripple effect because it's so hard to really pinpoint how many people he interacted with and i think that's why for me personally i'm not super you know disgusted by what wwe and AEW are doing because i just feel as though it's wrestling is much different than both ufc and just regular pro sports in general because you can limit the amount of people that can interact with each other when it comes to a basketball team you have Five players on the court plus the bench plus the coaches plus the referees plus the training staff plus whatever you know arena personnel needs to be that there. there's just so many people involved in that entire operation that I think it's a little harder to contain and kind of uh, if one person gets it then it just can spiral downhill very quickly I think with WWE and wrestling you can kind of uh, limit the amount of people that are being in contact and as long as they're taking the proper precautions Dana Bryan apparently is like not with his family at all he's doing the quarantine especially with the pregnant wife and a young daughter i definitely understand his decision but it's probably a tough decision maybe it's him being a little selfish because if he doesn't do the you know if he's not wrestling then maybe he knows that they're going to hold him out of his contract for however long this thing might go on, so maybe Dana Bryan being a little smart, short term, to you know benefit long term. But anyways, uh, moving on, we have some XFL news to talk about because of the whole COVID nineteen pandemic, the XFL had to shut down after week six of their season. Now that is half the amount of time that the first re. The first season of the XFL took place. But now the XFL has laid off pretty much all of their employees, and the 2021 season looks very, very bleak. It's probably not going to happen. But the cherry on top is yesterday the XFL has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Now, I'm not going to sit here and be a uh, you know, a money expert, and explain to you what uh, what the hell is Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, and what this means for everything. But with the filing of the bankruptcy, there was some interesting news that came out of this uh, filing. It said that Vince McMahon owns a hundred percent Class A shares and then 76.5% of Class B shares for the XFL. Now, obviously, I would assume A is the very most, B is the second most, and then uh, C, or or, sorry, WWE owns 23.5% of Class B shares. So if you add the 26.5 and the 23.5, that equals 100. So Vince McMahon was adamant at the beginning of the XFL launch that this was a completely different venture from WWE. Now, he said that in stockholder meetings, he said that in press conferences. And as I said, I'm not a Wall Street expert, so I don't exactly know how much he can be held liable for this. But if he was technically lying to his stockholders, saying that the XFL has nothing to do with WWE, But yet, WWE had shares in the company, so obviously, if the XFL does good, WWE does good. If the XFL does bad, WWE takes a hit off of that. It being Class B shares, obviously, it's not as big of a hit as Vince McMahon's taking right now and his whole uh, Alpha Entertainment venture that is the kind of the face of, you know, it's the enterprise that is running the XFL. But. Yeah, the XFL, I mean, it just is kind of sad and kind of sucks because they were, I mean, they weren't super successful by any means. I mean, the XFL first season, the first couple weeks, they were, they were pretty successful, mainly just because people were just checking out out of curiosity to see what the hell was going on. This XFL was a much more straightforward, regular football league. And there was, it gained entrance early on, It kind of the ratings were going down steadily throughout the season. But, I mean, from... A lot of people that I've seen talk about the XFL is like it was a good product. I mean, it wasn't the best product, but it was a respectable product. It was a lot better than the AAF that was doing spring football last year. They had to close their doors, but technically, I think they closed week seven, so they did last longer than the XFL. I mean, it just sucks. Vince McMahon. This kind of is his like if this is his last thing he really wanted to do. And it just gets cut short, not through any fault of his own. Now, XFL was supposed to have enough finances for the next three seasons, but I'm pretty sure that was kind of built off of ticket sales and everything from the first season. And so if the first season doesn't get completed, it's really hard to fund everything going on for the next two years. Now, I mean, this sucks, but we're going to keep an eye out to see what happens with the XFL. Now, some in-ring WWE news. It has finally happened. WWE has granted the Revival's immediate release. WWE announced on Friday morning that they have granted the Revival's release immediately, effective today, Friday, April 10th, 2020. WWE and the Revival have agreed to their immediate release from WWE. We wish them all the best on their future endeavors. So it has finally happened. This has been something we've been kind of speculating for at least the last year. It feels like it's been going on for a while. Dave Meltzer is reporting that there is a 90-day non-compete clause and there are free and clear to sign or work wherever they would like. Dawson's contract was either up or or about to be up while wilder initially had a few months added to the end of his contract due to previous time due to injury so definitely wilder getting a good deal here after dawson was probably going to leave the company obviously in the next couple weeks or months but you know i'll I talked about this on my other podcast that I do, Curveballs and Chair Shots, if you'd like to go check that out. We talk sports and wrestling. We've been talking a lot more wrestling recently because of the whole pandemic and not a lot of live sports to talk about, but I brought up the question that maybe this might not be the best time in the world to be a wrestler, but if you're going to get released, I think this might be maybe not the perfect time, but a really good time because if you're going to get this 90-day non-compete, there's not a lot of wrestling going on regardless. Now, I I don't know exactly what the 90 day non-compete means. Does that mean they can't wrestle against, I mean, obviously they can't sign AEW, Ring of Honor, New Japan, but could they wrestle the lower level indies? I think they could. I think that's something that WWE lets slide. I think when it comes to non-compete, obviously it's the bigger companies that they can't wrestle for. But with this whole pandemic coming around, I think it could be kind of a nice little breather. And with the Revival, with their contracts, both of them coming up recently, they weren't going to probably wrestle anyways. So if you're not... Yes, they're not making any money regardless because of their downside being matched or whatever. But if they can kind of wait it out these next three months, if, you know, April, May, June, July... Maybe stuff is coming back around in late July, I think. Still, don't really think we're going to be seeing any mass gatherings for the foreseeable future. People, there's health experts that say that there's no concerts are going to happen until fall 2021, which is just mind blowing. But we, I mean, this is just an ongoing situation that we don't exactly know what's going to go on. We, you know, there's talk about we're kind of getting slowly getting not back to normalcy, but the Governors and everybody involved are trying to reopen the economy, so people are going to be slowly, I think, going back to work. You know, maybe some restaurants might be opening up, maybe some of your, you know, local stores that have been closed are going to start to open up again. But when it comes to mass gatherings for sports, wrestling, concerts, you know, uh, farmers' markets, that is something that we just don't really know the answer to, right? Now, but the revival. Obviously, people are going to point to AEW, and I—that's the logical guess. I would love to see them in AEW. I think going to New Japan could be a lot of fun for them. I mean, New Japan has just been been completely shut down for the last month. We—they're continuing to cancel shows, so maybe the road is to AEW because at least they are running shows. But once again, who knows how long that's going to be lasting for? ROH, that's someone, a place that I could see them possibly going to, but I just think AEW New Japan is probably their best fit. If you want to wrestle for Ring of Honor, I mean, go right ahead. I mean, if their Ring of Honor is going to throw big money at you, as Philip says, make your money, boo-boo. So I, I ain't going to scoff at it. But we'll have to stay tuned and find out. And the Revival will be coming back into the news in the last in these next couple months. As they, they are soon, I mean, they might be free agents now, but I think they will definitely get signed up quite quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see the Be in the Elite episodes in the next couple weeks and months, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some fun little teases with them maybe bringing back the whole FTR sketch once again. But let's go into the NXT recap. I'm going to go over these pretty quickly. We got the last three episodes of nxt that i got to cover and we are in the performance center for this one this is from march 25th 2020 announcers are tom phillips and byron saxton they show johnny gargano and tommaso Ciampa destroying each other throughout the performance center and yeah so we get the first match tyler breeze austin theory a uh, good match. It goes 13 minutes, 23 seconds with a commercial. Tyler Breeze gets the win. Now, this is before Austin Theory showed up for Raw uh, to replace Andrade. So, I, I obviously, I don't think there was a plan in place at this point to have Austin Theory come up and be a, a focal point, especially on this week's episode where Zelina's crew was just everywhere on Raw. Uh, it, this does, I mean, in this bubble just talking about in NXT. It did seem like this was a setback for Theory because he was, you know, making some moves and then Tyler Breeze comes in and yes, he's a, he's a lovable babyface, legacy babyface, if you can even call him that, But even though he's so young, but uh, I s- am still not very sold on Austin Theory. Yes, he is super young, so you can't really cast die on him right now because he can wrestle another 15 years and he's still not going to be under 40, but Just maybe he's like kind of the prototype pretty boy. The wrestling aspect still hasn't really jumped off the page for me, so I'm not completely sold. But I think with him being on Raw recently, I think he has been making some good moves and being, you know, Zelina kind of carrying the bulk of the promos I think has been kind of a good job. And uh, so overall, I mean, Austin Theory, I'm not selling him quite yet but I'm not buying him quite yet either. Uh, Then we get a Killian Dane squash match, 3 minutes, 42 seconds. Haven't seen a whole lot of Killian Dane after this, so, I mean, good for him, but maybe it was just kind of... This was the beginning of the whole kind of no-fans quarantine situation, so um, we haven't seen Killian Dane since then, but maybe he's going to... Crop back up later on down the line. Then we get Tony nice taking on Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes wins for 5 minutes, 39 seconds. Uh, good stuff here. You know, really short match. Cameron Grimes, I think, is a fantastic talent. We have not seen Cameron Grimes since then, so maybe it's just the fact of him not living in the Orlando area. I, I don't know because I just feel like all the NXT wrestlers, I mean, especially like the younger ones and the fresher signed ones, kind of all live in this Orlando area, so I would think that they would have you know, a lot more of the talent readily available to come in. But maybe they're just kind of using them in waves. With TakeOver being canceled, they had to kind of spread out the TakeOver matches. So maybe they're just getting the TakeOver matches done with and kind of getting those really big names on the show for the next few weeks. And then, let's say from this week on, they're going to have some of the more, uh, you know, lesser names. And Cameragrams, I think, is someone... He did lose to Keith Lee in the North American title match, so he has kind of fallen back a little bit. But I do think that he is a uh, fantastic talent. We get uh, some qualifying matches for the ladder match. We get uh, Aaliyah. She was supposed to take on Zaylee, but Zaylee got taken out, and then she gets to face Io Shirai, and then Io wins very quickly. Aaliyah, I I forget. I was watching uh, NXT from like 2016 and I was watching like Liv Morgan, Peyton Royce, the iconics, you know, seeing like all these women that are st- that are in the that are in WWE on the main roster at this point and Aaliyah was still in NXT at that point. And she's still here and it just feels like she has just been spinning her wheels for the last five years. And I still don't think she's gotten that much better, so I mean she has a great look, you know, she's a pretty girl. She has kind of the attitude and the swagger down but when it comes to the in ring. It, it, it still still's not there. Anyways, we get uh, Keith Lee. He cuts a promo, setting up the triple threat match between Dijakovic and Damian Priest. We get Adam Cole cutting a promo from his backyard. He's done this multiple times throughout the uh, past three weeks. But uh, just kind of talking about Voveteen Dream is setting up that match later on down the line when it happens. We get Oni Lorca and Danny Burch taking on Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. Birch and Lorcan get the win in 3 minutes 41 seconds don't really know too much about Vink I mean it's a really short match so you can't really uh talk about it too much then we get a qualifying match between Candace LeRae and Caden Carter Candice wins in 430 uh once again another good match but uh, kind of too short to really uh analyze it much further, and then in the main event, we get Matt Riddle taking on Roderick Strong. Matt Riddle wins in 10 minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, Good match. We've kind of seen this match before, and then after that, uh, Riddle gets attacked by two large, long-haired, bearded Middle Eastern men. We get uh, Malcolm Bivens making his debut And we're going to see more from them later on uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We got Rinku Singh and Saurav Gujar. Definitely nailed that. Uh, So then in the main event segment, we get Triple H. And he gets Gargano and Champa in the ring. And he tells them, because he's Big Daddy Triple H, when when things go down, William Regal step aside, because Triple H is coming to town to settle this thing once and for all. So he comes down. He tells uh, Gargano and Champa that they're going to finish this thing once and for all. He's going to find a place, find a, a referee, and there you go. And then in the end, after all this stuff goes down, we get, finally, Killer Cross was revealed to be the man behind all those cryptic apocalyptic videos. I haven't seen uh, Killer Cross quite yet, but he is on his way. So then we go to two weeks ago on April 1st the go home show for NXT going into WrestleMania we get uh, this one taped at Full Sail University we're back kind of to normal but the announcers are Tom Phillips and Sam Roberts now i know philip loves sam roberts you know i've never really been sold on him but i just thought sam roberts was just so annoying i did not like his commentary whatsoever i mean I guess he's a he. I still really don't understand his shtick. It's like he's kind of a heel, but then he's like a straightforward guy who I I I don't get it. I I don't really like his his shtick on the pre shows or on uh, in the commentary booth. I wish Pat McAfee was a commentator instead. I thought he did a really good job on SmackDown when the NXT Takeover happened back when the uh, all the rest were stuck in saudi arabia but that's just me maybe pat was uh unavailable because he was over there in indiana but we got the first match velveteen dream taking on bobby fish and dream wins in 15 minutes 49 seconds uh really good match uh with all these being pre-taped you know you got to kind of take these times with a little big grain of salt because they probably do the thing where they go to commercial but They come back to commercial and they just kind of go where they left off. So uh, real time, it was 1549 maybe in the building. They only wrestled for like 10 minutes, but uh, kind of a, a weird pacing to the match. Maybe some editing was taking place throughout the match. But overall, Dream gets the win. Uh, You know, not the best match by either one of these guys, but I think they're still getting used to wrestling without a crowd at this point. I think everybody is getting, is trying to get used to wrestling without a crowd. So, cutting them a little bit of slack, but, uh, you know, not the best match. We get Malcolm Bivens doing an interview. He's flanked by Rinku and Soar. So, I, I, Rinku, I got. Soarv, I want to say like Swarv Scott, but that is not the case. Uh, So Bivens says that they're a family, that they're Bivens Enterprises. And then both men spoke in their native tongues. And then they uh, said Bivens told the Broserweights that they're waiting. With Pete Dunne stuck over in the UK, it is kind of awkward for the tag team champions to not really be defending the titles all that often. It's very similar over in AEW. With the Cruiserweight division on hold, they will be doing a Cruiserweight tournament a round-robin tournament since Jordan Devlin is stuck over there in the UK or in the uh, in I guess in the UK in Ireland. So WWE has announced the complete field for the interim NXT cruiserweight championship tournament. So it is going to be a round-robin tournament four groups or two groups of four men. Now with this being a round-robin tournament, there is going to be a lot of matches being take place so one two three four uh so i mean what like 10 matches or i'm not very good at math they don't whatever you know what i mean so in group a we got kushida drake maverick tony nese and jake atlas we got in group b isaiah swerve scott el hijo de fantasma akira tozawa and gentleman jack Gallagher. Now, if you've been listening to me on this podcast, I've been very vocal that I just feel like Kushida should be used a lot more in NXT. And I feel as though Kushida is the favorite to win the Group A. He's kind of the standout Drake Maverick. I mean, he's kind of a comedy guy, especially of what you've seen with him on the main roster in the 24-7 shtick. Tony Nese, I mean, he's good. He just had that match with Cameron Grimes. Jake Atlas, uh, you know, California native friend of the podcast. Uh, he did have a match on NXT that I'm going to talk about up next, which I was not a big fan of, having Jake Atlas come out and being squashed like that, especially now that it has come out that he's going to be in this Cruiserweight Championship match. I, I, yeah, but anyways. Uh, and then in Group B, Swerve, Phantasma, Akira Tozawa, and Jack Gallagher. It can go either way, but I, I feel I still think Scott is like So underutilized in NXT, and I feel as though he could be so much more. Yes, I know it would be a babyface, babyface matchup if it is Scott versus uh, Kushida. You could also do uh, Jack Gallagher. He's kind of reinvented himself with a new look with all the tattoos and stuff. But all these matches that you look at can be very, very good. I mean, Drake Maverick, as much as you kind of laugh at him, I mean, he can still wrestle. I think that might be kind of the outlier. He could be kind of the... the, Yano, the Toriano of the group where he's just kind of the match where we just have a little bit of fun and do a comedy match. But overall, I mean, these eight guys can definitely wrestle and it could be a lot of fun. Maybe not going to be Cruiserweight Classic level matches, but we're going to have to stay tuned and find out about that. So then, as I said, Jake Atlas takes on Dexter, Loomis, and Loomis wins in three minutes and 25 seconds. Now we've seen Dexter Loomis before. He has come out. He comes out to like the an EDM theme, or not an EDM theme. He comes out to kind of like a, a Stranger Things type theme. It's just kind of like the ominous, spooky, you know, kind of cold-eyed gimmick that he has. Uh, Atlas comes out. I mean, he was, you know, comes out cocky. He was, you know, kind of not full of himself, but you know, kind of upbeat, baby face, ready to take on Loomis. And then Loomis stares down Atlas. Uh, Atlas gets a little bit of offense in, but in the end, Loomis gets the victory. I mean, it was an f- okay squash match. We've seen Dexter Loomis before. He kind of showed up, and then just kind of left, so I don't exactly know what happened to him. They didn't really explain what happened. He was gone for a long time. I don't know if it was injury or whatnot, but I, I just don't... I, I know Atlas looked good in, his, in this match, but I just feel as though he... Could have brought in somebody else. Like he could have brought in some no-name, some person from the performance center to come in and lose this match. But it is, uh, it is what it is. We get a killer cross, hype vignette, and then we get a six-woman gauntlet match for the spot in the women's ladder match. So all the women who lost in the matches then get a second chance opportunity, except for Zaylee because she got taken out. Uh, Shotzi starts off. She defeats Diana Prazo then she defeats Xia Lee, and then she defeats Aaliyah, and then she defeats Kaden Carter, and then she faces Dakota Kai, but she ends up losing. So Shotzi almost running the gauntlet, but she does and falls just short. In the end, Dakota Kai wins in total, 24 minutes and 7 seconds. So, uh, shout out Shotzi, you know, town business, baby. But she did not get the job done. I mean, this makes sense. Uh, looking at the bracket or looking at the match, it had a lot of baby faces. So putting Dakota Kai in there with Rena Gonzalez uh, definitely made a lot of sense. But I think this was a, a really good showing for Shotzi. Uh, I think she's definitely over as a babyface. I know there's no crowd, but I can kind of sense that she's gaining some momentum, not only with the crowd, but also with the management that they're putting her in this prime position. And, I mean, if you look at it... Uh, I mean, maybe Diana Perazo might be a better wrestler, but I just think Shotzi, out of all these women besides uh, Dakota Kai, she, she's the best wrestler out of all of them. So it definitely made sense. If Dakota Kai was going to win, have Shotzi be the first one, have her run the gauntlet, have you know, passable match with all the other women, and then go to the finish with Kai. Then we get Kushida taking on Joaquin Wilde, formerly DJZ. In TNA, and Kushida wins in 9 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, you know, fine match. Uh, once again, Roberts, uh, not not the best commentator, in my opinion. But, anyways, uh, after the fact, we get a, a little uh, interview with Joaquin Wild backstage. He kind of, well, or not backstage, but in the parking lot, and he says that. You know, he he come he came into NXT and he just isn't doing as good as he thought he would, and then he gets abducted by two men in Luchador mass, the same men that kidnapped Raul Mendoza a few weeks ago, so possibly a stable or some sort of hostage angle. I don't know what's going on, but that is the case. So with Takeover being cancelled, NXT has sprinkled in some takeover matches in the next few weeks. The first one is Keith Lee, Dominic Dijakovic, and Damian Priest, a triple threat match for the North American Championship, the main event. And it goes 9 minutes and 39 seconds. Keith Lee is your winner. Lee ends up hitting the Big Bang Catastrophe on Dijakovic for the finish. So that definitely writes off Dijakovic being in the title pitcher for the foreseeable future, so I would say that Keith Lee is going to face Damon Priest next up one-on-one later on down the line. I mean, as you would expect, all three of these guys kind of come out. They do a lot of the big spots, especially Lee and Dijakovic. A really good match, but we've just kind of seen this a lot of times before, so I'm not saying it's getting stale, but it is getting a bit repetitive. Then we get last week's episode of NXT emanating from the performance center or emanating from full sale and an undisclosed location. This took place on April 8th, 2020. And your announcer is Mauro Ranallo. We never saw him on camera. So obviously he probably did some sort of post edited thing from his house or his studio or whatever, but it was uh, a nice sight to hear. Mauro Ronaldo's voice once again. So they hype up Johnny Gargano taking on Tommaso Ciampa at the end of the show. Uh, This was a very, I mean, it was a two-hour show, but it was not a lot of stuff happening because the Tommaso Ciampa-Johnny Gargano match happened at the beginning of ...of the second hour, and it went on throughout the whole third hour, so it went on a long damn time. But the first match is the six-woman ladder match for the number one contendership to the NXT Women's Championship. In the end, well, your participants are Io Shirai, Tegan Knox, Chelsea Green with Robert Stone, Mia Yim, Dakota Kai with Raquel Gonzalez... And Candice LeRae, Robert Stone definitely added a lot to this match with there not being a crowd. Him talking to Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's uh, sold a knee injury early on from a fall, and there was a point where Chelsea was trying to climb up the ladder but she couldn't because of her knee. And then Robert, uh, you know, took off his jacket and kind of climbed up, doing a James Ellsworth for her, for his Carmella, trying to get the uh, the briefcase. But in the end, Io Shirai gets the win. It came down to uh, Io Shirai and Candice LeRae. They're going back and forth, and then Io tosses LeRae, and she hits a ladder in the corner, and she unhooks the briefcase. Fantastic match, really good. I mean, they took some big spots. Uh, a big spot that was that happened in the match was Mia Yim power bombed Raquel Gonzalez with help of Tegan Knox. Through a table from the outside of the ring through a table on the outside of the ring. I completely botched that. I said on the outside of the ring to the outside of the ring. From the ring apron to the outside of the ring. There you go. Speak the English. Uh, we got Eo Shirai winning, which I was excited about. I want to see what Eo could get out of Charlotte, but then I also think that I'm scared because now this means that Eo Shirai is going to lose to Charlotte. Yeah. And Io is one of those wrestlers who has kind of gone back and forth being a a heel, but the crowd kind of loves her because she's kind of a badass. But I think now that she wins, I think this is definitely a full blown babyface turn for her, especially what happens at the end of the show. Uh, I understand why maybe they want to turn Io Shirai babyface because now they have a new heel in the women's division. Uh, we get a Finn Balor kind of promo. Uh, he kind of alludes to the pandemic, saying that, for now, him and Walter can't happen, but it will happen sooner rather than later, and it's going to happen. We get uh, Ever-Rise, which is Matt, Martel and Chase Parker, taking on Indus Sure, Rinku, and Soar with Malcolm Bivens and then in the end Indus Shear wins in 4 minutes 41 seconds i mean this was uh, an you know it, it was it's a big man squash match so it's pretty much what you would expect i thought the offense looked really offen uh I almost said offensive really effective uh, i mean I, I enjoyed the match i'm not going to judge them too too harshly quite yet i mean you can make uh, comparisons to the authors of pain which i think might be a little bit warranted, but also might be a little unfair as well. But then we get another Adam Cole promo from his pool. He kind of buries Bobby Fish a little bit, kind of dismissing that Valentine Dream beat Bobby Fish, but he hasn't beat Adam Cole yet, baby. So definitely setting up that match. Maybe kind of teasing a little bit of an Undisputed Era breakup with... Bobby Fish being a little dismissed by Adam Cole. Uh, we get a recap of Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair's match from WrestleMania. They play the same promo Charlotte cut last week after WrestleMania that they played on Raw. And then we get Rhea kind of soaking up the loss and she kind of said that she underestimated Charlotte. So then we get into Hour 2 and Tommaso Ciampa takes on Johnny Gargano and it wasn't exactly specified what. This match was there was no commentary. Mara was only there for the first hour, basically commentary on the squash match and the women's ladder match. But uh, Johnny and Candace pull up. Candace looks a little shook. She doesn't really want this to happen. She hands Can- uh, Johnny a bag, and then Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Griano get into the building. Triple H is there. He says, here's Drake. Here's the referee. He's just here to count the three count. You guys do whatever the hell you want. Just as long as it ends in the ring, it ends here. Nothing. You know, we're not going to do this ever again. So another cinematic pre-taped match. I would say this was a blend of the Boneyard match with the last main standing match from WrestleMania. WrestleMania. Now, I would kind of sandwich it in between the two matches. I didn't think it was as good as the Boneyard match, and you know how much I hated the Last Man Standing match. Now, in total, I would say that this match went as long as the uh, Last Man Standing match because of the uh, commercials and everything. Maybe they didn't exactly wrestle for 45 minutes, but uh, I watched it on DVR, so I just kind of can fast-forward through it. So I basically watched, you know, a half hour worth of this thing. But uh, they wrestle... In the warehouse or the building, or whatever, they go to the outside. They fight on top of a truck. They do that. Nobody takes a big old bump. We do get a drone shot. We come back into the ring, and they fight for a little bit more. We get Tommaso Ciampa taking off the uh, ring or the I don't know what the hell the the covering of the ring. So basically, you know, doing a callback to back when Gargano and Ciampa had their match a few years back. Uh, uh, so they're fighting back and forth, just absolutely beating the piss out of each other. And Gargano, or Chompa, kind of is taking pity on Gargano a little bit. Uh, and they're kind of just going back and forth. Candace comes out, and she says, Kai, stop it, stop it, stop it, don't do this. What are you doing, Johnny? And then she takes Johnny Gargano to Dick Kick City. Uh, Gargano's selling it. Candace storms off, and then Chompa kind of takes pity on Gargano a little bit. And then out of nowhere, Candace comes in and takes Chompa to Dick Kick City, and then Gargano's laughing, pulls out the cup, which I assume is what was in that brown paper bag that Candace gave him, and then Gargano hits him. Uh, so let's see, Johnny said, I'm sorry too, and Candace showed up in the background, took Chompa to Dick Kick City. Gargano smirked, pulled the cup out of his pants, and said, you lose. Johnny then slammed Chompa to the wood for the victory. Johnny Gargano wins in about 42 minutes with commercial. Johnny and Candice embrace. Candice helped Johnny to the outside uh, to their car and drove away. They walked past a car with the lights on inside of it. You can see that there was somebody or at least one or two people in there they did acknowledge it, they didn't even look at them, but you can kind of see, I kind of, uh, fat, you know, rewound it a couple times to see if I can get a glimpse of it, see if maybe that was Killer Cross and Scarlet. Was that the Luchador men who have abducted Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wild? I don't know, but it was just kind of something that they didn't really acknowledge. Uh, I mean, I thought that was, that match was, uh, it was fun it was definitely draining, like, just the emotions and everything, especially at the end. I can see why people don't like it. I can see why people love it. I think I'm just kind of there in the middle. I liked it. I think it could have been a lot shorter with there not being a whole lot of content for them to produce. I understand where they might have been a little ambitious with stretching this match out. Uh, the, I mean, The feud definitely deserves it, uh, you know, everything that they've gone through and the story that they have been telling for the last however many years, you know, three. five years but uh overall i thought it was uh, a a really good episode of nxt and nxt actually did win in the wednesday night wars for once now they only won by like a thousand people but i mean a win is still a win and during these times it is kind of hard to you know plant a flag and say like oh this was a great night for tv just because both of the both of the shows at this point have been going down, but it's not because there's nobody watching TV. Obviously, pretty much everybody's at their home, so they could watch TV. But it's just cable news and news in general is just skyrocketing, just killing it right now with all the all the stuff going on. People wanting to watch the news, so that's uh, one of the reasons why the AW NXT ratings aren't that hot. But we're gonna have to, you know, kind of write it out and see what the ratings are at. The end of all this. But, some happy news. Let's go Total Bellas recap. Season 6. Geez, I can't believe there's been 6 seasons of Total Bellas. But here we are. We got 2 episode recaps. We got Bree and Brian talking about possibly wanting another child... Brian definitely wants the child. He wants to have a boy. He wants to carry on the Danielson family name because he got Bertie and then he has a niece. So obviously, Daniel wants to have a boy to carry on the family legacy. Maybe so he can, you know, teach him how to wrestle and do all this other stuff. I don't exactly know. But then Brie, being the entrepreneur woman she is, kind of is. A little reluctant to have another kid because she has a wine, she has the wine she has the clothing line, she has whatever the hell else she's doing and then her and Brian get in this big old blow up argument because they, you know, Brian wants a kid but Bree doesn't really want a kid but she's kind of doing it to make Brian happy and then put it on, on top of this Josie, their French bulldog died unexpectedly so that just adds extra stress, R.I.P. Josie poison out for the homie and so that just adds extra stress to the relationship, and Brian was just talking about how he real how he didn't realize how much he depended on Josie, how much Josie loves him, and how much he relied on her for emotional support, and all this other stuff. And then, uh, maybe the highlight of the entire season thus far, we get Nikki Bella and her new boyfriend, Artem, from Dancing with the Stars. They were together, you know dance partners on that show. They go lingerie shopping. Yes, we go to a lingerie shop for Nikki Bella. She tries, you know, we get the whole parade. She goes and tries on everything. You know, if you ever wanted to see what Nikki Bella's butt tattoo looks like, you get a nice glimpse of it there. It's like a broken heart or something. So, there you go. If you made it this far, give a nice little tidbit for Nikki Bella's ass tattoo. And, uh, so, that was pretty much it. You know, Bree and Brian wanting a kid talking about a dead dog and then kind of introducing Artem into the picture, and they talk about maybe Nikki's moving too fast because she's building a house, and then she wants to have Artem move in because she doesn't want you know them not to live together. It might be her house, but she wants him to make some decisions because she's literally building the house, so she's having to make all these decisions, and she wants Artem to help, and all this other good, fun stuff. So then we move on to episode two, and now we're talking about Marriage and divorce, and having sex in a hardware store. Yes, Nikki and Artem went to a hardware store, and Nikki was getting turned on by all the cocking, and the screwing, and the banging, and the hammering from all the hardware innuendos that happened. And so uh, that that they did not have sex in the hardware store, if you were, you know, hoping that. But yeah, I'm sorry, it didn't happen. Maybe on the, uh, in the final season when they're really desperate. Four ratings, but the uh, Bella Twins are apparently writing a book, and it's not a complete autobiography. Apparently, they want to write this book, but then they're breaking it up into chapters by like people or by parts of their career. And instead of just having it through the eyes of themselves, they want to also have quotes and stuff from the people that they're talking about. So, apparently, they didn't get too deep into the Bella's childhood, but you can kind of read around the tea leaves and kind of see that, oh, maybe the the dad and the, obviously the dad and the mom are divorced, so they don't have, and they don't have a great relationship right now, so maybe, you know, there might have been some cheating, might have been some assault and some domestic violence or whatever. They don't exactly talk about it, but obviously the mother uh, does not like the father and doesn't really like, or not doesn't like, but she, she doesn't approve of him in, Bree apparently has been seeing the father and the mom didn't know about it since she got all mad at Bree and then they get into a little tiff and then they go back and they they go and have lunch because this is what happens on these shows. They always have to have lunch over their discussions about what just happened and then they figure it out and then we get uh, Nikki and Bree's dad comes to town. He lives in Mexico so then he comes up to... I think they live in Arizona at this point so he comes to Arizona. They have a nice little sit down and he meets Artem for the first time. He gives Artem a hard time and then they go to lunch. They have, or they they go to dinner. They have a good time. They don't exactly talk about the book yet. So they're kind of deplay- they're talking about. Oh, should we bring up the book right now? No, we're not going to talk about the book. And then now apparently the dad wants the whole family to come on down to Mexico and have a, uh, a good old time. So uh, that's going to be later on in the season. We're going to get the Bella twins going to Mexico. Woo! So that's pretty much it for the first two episodes of Total Bells. I know you guys have been waiting patiently for that to recap. So we're going to go, it's been a while, so maybe we're going to finally get some emails, some questions at utrmailbag@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'm clicking on the Gmail right now as it loads up, getting super excited to see what is in the mailbox. Oh my goodness. Look at all these emails from the New York Times. I completely forgot that I signed up for the New York Times newsletter, whatever. So it's, it's been a while, and I have 18 emails. None of them are for Under the Radar. It's all for the New York Times. But anyways, that will do it for me for today. Thank you all very much for tuning in to this marathon episode of Under the Radar. Going damn near 50 minutes. Jeez, I need to shut up. But anyways, my name is Brandon Tango, and this has been Under the Radar. Hopefully, you guys check out the next edition of the Bullet Cast coming out on Thursday. Me and Philip will talk about everything in the world of pro wrestling. Probably going to talk about some news that I talked about here, but you guys here heard it here first, so there you go. Also, check out my other show. I do Curveballs and Chair Shots. Uh, we're maybe going to be doing some different things because of the whole quarantine. Maybe do some watch-alongs. Maybe do some uh, live streams on the YouTube channel. But, uh, yeah, so maybe I'm not going to be doing Under the Radar all that often anymore, I don't think, because there's not that much stuff to talk about besides NXT recaps. So, I was thinking maybe doing some watch-alongs, maybe doing some lists, maybe I bring in Dominic and I can kind of do a curveballs and chair shots takeover on Under the Radar, or we can kind of give you guys a little snippet of what we do here. But, uh, yeah, so thank you all very much. Goodbye. And goodnight. Uh, bye-bye. <laughs>